This is the new Blue Review with Benji Shulman. Now, I'm very excited to say we have in studio today with us uh, Adam Golding. He is a, a chorister. He's a music teacher. Uh, he's, he's very interested in musicologist. I don't know how, how you would uh, describe it, but he will give us his background. And he's coming to talk to us because, you know, most of us go to shul every Friday, Saturday, sometimes on holidays and we listen to the music and the choir and sometimes we know the words and sometimes we don't but we never really think about where they come from so we're going to be having a fascinating discussion i think with adam about the history of music in general and particularly how it ended up in our shuls adam thank you so much for joining us and welcome to high fm good morning benj it's so wonderful to be here thanks for having me on the show absolutely fantastic to have you so let's talk a little bit about music and uh, the music that we listen to today because you are very, very interested in a specific period of music, uh, That's and right. and and one that sort of, it, not to say that it, re, it you wouldn't recognize it in the same way as you recognize music today, but it sort of set the stage for the way we understand music in some respects today. So, talk to us to be, begin with about this period of music and and why it's important as a sort of pre predating the music that we un, that we listen to today. Sure. So. I think so many people think um, when you think about old music, music that's kind of more than 100 years old, you call it classical. Right. But classical music is actually a very specific and quite short period. So classical music refers very specifically to music written between about 1750 and 1820 in Europe. Mm -hmm. And the music that I'm interested in predates that by quite a long way. Um, so... I run a group of musicians called the African Renaissance Ensemble, and we focus on Renaissance and Baroque music. Okay. Um, the Baroque period is the period from 1600 to 1750, so almost double as long as that classical period. And I think a lot of, um, of your listeners will be familiar with some Baroque composers, people like Bach um, or Vivaldi mm -hmm. or even Handel. Um, but they were very much at the end of the Baroque period. They were composing in the early 18th century. Um, all of them died around 1750. And we focus on stuff that's quite a lot earlier than that. And, and, of, and of course, Baroque is a whole thing, right? Because you, you'll hear Baroque about Baroque architecture. and uh, Exactly. So, so it was actually a change in some way, like a, a period of, of, of cultural change in, in human civilization. Exactly. So the Renaissance happened, um, depending on who you ask, starting either in uh, 1401 or 1453, um, obviously in different places, started at different times. There was this rediscovery of um, classical Greek and Roman uh, architecture, art, um, the idea of um, drawing in linear perspective. So it was a major development in art. And then that transition to the next period that we call the Baroque period in the year 1600. And Baroque is um, the art, the architecture is very ornate, highly decorative. Um, and the same can be said for the music. Mm. But I think um, when people think about the music, they think about that very late end of the Baroque. And the beginning to me is where it's so interesting because so much of what we take for granted in music today, things like major and minor scales, um, the instruments that we use today, um, the idea of um, having time signatures with bar lines um, and having this many beats in a bar, right. um, even the way that we write music, all of that kind of was um, solidified during the Baroque period. 
And um, we like, we're looking at stuff from the beginning of the Baroque period, around 1600, so that transition period. And it's a time when things were completely, completely different. It was when opera was invented, but the opera sounds nothing like we think of opera sounding. The instruments are completely different. And um, something that we're trying to do is use these original instruments or um, at least copies of them rather than trying to recreate it on modern instruments. So, so what would music have sounded like in this period or, or moving into this period? Uh, why was it considered so different to suddenly be having... Uh, to, to suddenly be having these these sorts of influences. And what does it mean to have Greek or Roman influence in a music in, as, a, as opposed to, say, a, as an architectural okay, style? So, so the music didn't have the Greek and Roman influence necessarily. Okay. Um, you know, music was a very big part of uh, Greek and Roman culture. But because they didn't have any visual way of recording it, like music notation, we don't actually know what it sounded like. Mm. Um, but in art and architecture, it was very much this kind of this rebirth of civilization after the what they call the Dark, dark ages, ages, which right. is now quite disputed, um, and the fall of civilization. How, in how Europe, dark actually was it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but um, the Renaissance was looking back to these ideas of mm. um, of civilization. In music, it manifested in in music theory being taken to new levels, and that that music theory is kind of it's not the same as what we look at today. It was really about this idea that music was um, the music theory was intertwined with three things. It was intertwined with um, art. Mm-hmm. with science. It comes from science and from mathematics. It's about proportion. It's about um, frequencies resonating. Um, in fact, and when you Bach listen is to... very much into this, right? Yes, he, yes. He, he mathematicalizes a lot of his music. Exactly. And it's, um, any music is mathematical because any two notes that sound good together mm-hmm. resonate at frequencies that when divided by each other um, give you uh, rational numbers. Okay, interesting. Um, so it is all about music and then about God. And to even the way that people tuned instruments at the time was different. And the system that we use today, which allows us to play in any key, it was hugely disputed. And there were these debates saying that it was an affront against nature and an affront against God to <laughs> tune in such a way. Wow. Um, so it really was this kind of um, battlefield of the minds. And, but the music is, it relies on something called polyphony very heavily, which is multiple melodies at the same time um, that, that intertwine and move against each other, rather than how we think of music today from classical music even to pop music, where you have one melody with general chordal accompaniment. Most of the music that, that we look at is also in, in many ways much more closely related to folk music than mm. to what we think of as classical music. Whilst the theory was very um, set in stone, um, there were so many innovations in form at the time, and so many things were coming into being that have become the standards today, and they, they weren't set in stone yet. So in other words, it was a kind of change from music almost being a, uh, an in, informal enterprise that, that an individual musician might engage in for a court or for, a, for, for some kind of a living. And in, in some ways, it al- almost is the start of the formalization of music thinking, uh, that we now see today. Yeah, in many ways that can definitely be said. Um, I think something else to think about is in the in the early medieval period and, uh, you know, from the year 1000 CE or so, um, you start to see music being written down. But it is all in what is called monody um, or uh, monophonic music, just a single line of music. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we get towards the Renaissance, um, they start to harmonize by adding um, additional lines. And by the time you get to the Renaissance, you get this incredible set of uh, very, very complex rules. Um, and then those start to change 
um, as we move into the Baroque period. Interesting. So this is what's happening in, in Europe at the time. Yes. And and particularly coming out of the, the city-states in Italy. Exactly. And that, and that are being financed by uh, not by groups outside of the church, merchant class, uh, who have a, a wider viewpoint on religion and a wider viewpoint on the role of science and God and all sorts of things. So how does this then start to affect the Jewish community that's that's living in those areas? So, I mean, it's a great question. And it's really interesting. So um, there, it, it's, it's hard to find exact information on this, but it seems like after the fall of the Second Temple, in 7071 CE, mm-hmm. um, there was um, an edict that no music may be performed um, by Jewish people. Um, so music was basically banned. Now, not sure if it was like completely banned or if it was banned for services. Um, we know that we still don't use instruments in uh, Orthodox shuls on uh, on festivals and Shabbat today. Mm-hmm. Um, but it seemed like the ban was was much, much wider than that. So we get to... Um, the year uh, 1570, and in the city-state of Mantua, uh, which was ruled by a very f- powerful uh, merchant family, the Gonzagas, um, a guy called Salomone Rossi is born. Um, this is exactly around the time as the transition from Renaissance to Baroque is happening. Mm-hmm. And he becomes um, recognized as one of the great, great musicians of Mantua. And he ends up being employed by the Gonzaga court. And he works alongside who is um, remembered today as the great musician of the time, Claudio Monteverdi. Monteverdi moved to Mantua from Cremona, which is just outside Milan. And the two of them, um, amongst a couple of others, are seen as these top, top uh, composers in town. Now, Jews at the time were... Uh, forced in Italy to live in ghettos. Mm-hmm. They were forced to wear some kind of mark. It might have been um, an orange mark on their hat or even an armband, um, like came back later in the time of the Nazis. And Rossi was so respected as a musician that he was actually exempted from this. Sure. That is absolutely uh, fascinating and interesting to see how this uh, uh, started to develop. We're talking to Adam Golding today. He is a uh, musician and a chorister, and we're talking about the Renaissance and Baroque period in music. This is the New Blue Review with Benji Shulman. 101.9 Chai FM, talking today to Adam Golding, who is a chorister and a musician, talking about the Renaissance and Baroque period in, in music. Now, Adam, just before the end, you had sort of talked to us about this um, uh, new Jewish composer who was so well-respected. How did he change the face of Jewish music as we know it? So, Salomone Rossi was appointed uh, as one of the court composers to the Gonzagas, and he even though he was allowed not to live in the ghetto and didn't have to wear a mark and was um, uh, respected, he was kind of, according to to their laws, elevated above the status of a Jew because Jews Mm. were um, discriminated against in that society at the time. Um, He maintained his Jewish roots and he was encouraged by a rabbi um, called Leon of Modena, who was actually a a rabbi uh, who'd moved to Ferrara, um, to write music for the shul. And he penned and notated the first um, choral music ever for synagogue. 
until that time, um, there was this kind of ban. Um, and it seems like there was some singing in, in a shul, but it would have been led by a Baal Tefillah who would have sang one line by himself, uh, no congregal singing, and certainly no harmony or counterpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, and he wrote in the style of his day, the, this Baroque style that he was busy innovating and creating, um, a set of um, psalms and other prayers, um, which he called Hashirim Asher Lishlomo, the Songs of Solomon, not the actual Song of Solomon, but a pun on his name, Salomon Erasi. <laughs> um, and these became the first, not only first um, shul music, but first Jewish music and first Hebrew music ever notated. He had to come up with a way to write music notation, which reads from left to right wow. with Hebrew words that were written from right to left. Um, we do know that some of his music was performed in shuls at the time. In fact, um, some was performed in a shul in Venice by three men. And there is a um, written first-hand account of these three men being thrown out of shul for daring to sing together. Um, and that singing um, joyously was a desecration um, and against God's name. So it was really, really revolutionary for him to pen um, shul sure. music. Fascinating. So so you've actually decided to bring some of this rena- Renaissance music, uh, well, not back, but you actually... You're, you're playing it in, a, in an interesting African context. Talk to us about how you how you do this with your with your with your choristers. So, um, the, I, I run two groups. One of them is the African Renaissance Ensemble, which is an ensemble of um, twelve instrumentalists and five vocal soloists, mm-hmm. um, and we regularly perform Renaissance and Baroque music. Um, you know, we do we do probably around five or six concerts uh, or programs a year. Um, and then the second group is the Lewandowski Chorale, um, which some of the listeners may be familiar with, which is a group dedicated to the liturgical Jewish music of the 19th century. Mm-hmm. So about 250 years later than this. Right. Um, this year is the 400th anniversary of the publication of Salomon Erasi's Hashirim Asher Lishlomo, which was, as I said, the first Hebrew music ever notated. So to celebrate and mark this uh, it's really momentous occasion, the birth of Jewish music as we know it. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to be bringing those two groups together to perform a combination of some of these works by Solomon Erasi, um, contrasted with some of his instrumental music, and then two uh, really obscure but really interesting pieces um, that were written also during the Baroque period in Hebrew, so following from the tradition of Solomon Erasi, both by non-Jewish composers commissioned by their Jewish communities, respectively. So the first was commissioned by the Jewish community of Venice. Uh, the composer's name is Carlo Grossi, with a G, so quite confusing. Yes. Um, and it was commissioned as a piece to be performed on Hoshana Rabbah. Wow. Um, now, this is interesting because Hoshana Rabbah is uh, not one of those festivals where we have the it um, is against using instruments yes. because it's during Cholamoyed. Um So it seemed uh, that that this could kind of get by more easily than a piece for one of the um, Shalosh Regalim yeah. or the High Holy Days. Um, and then the second by Louis Saladin uh, was composed for a wealthy family in Provence in France for the occasion of the circumcision uh, of their son. Amazing. So we'll be performing these concerts on the evening of the 25th of March, Saturday evening at 8 o'clock, and the afternoon of the 26th of March at 3.30, 
um, in the most amazing venue. The Christopher Seabrook Music Hall at Wits University is a brand new state-of-the-art concert hall, the only purpose-built concert hall in Johannesburg. The acoustics are amazing. It's absolutely beautiful. Um, we're so excited to to be playing there. Um, and can I tell everyone where to book tickets? Yes, please. please. Let so us know. Um, to book tickets, you can go to earlymusic.co.za forward slash concerts earlymusic.co.za so we do early music yes um there are early bird tickets from 180 rand um then full price 220 and 250 at the door if there are any available still amazing so if you are at all interested in early music in 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 shul music in the and the foundations of these sorts of things. I think it's an absolute must. Adam, thank you so much for joining us on the show for today. We are out of time, but uh, hopefully after you've done the concert, we can uh, explore more of these themes because I think it's uh, really a, a very interesting uh, part of, of Jewish history. So thanks for coming in. Brings us to the end of the show for today. Uh, thank you to the whole team who puts everything together. Craig, who pushes all the big red buttons. Uh, Vusi on the sound. Uh, Senna, who helps uh, production. And Mashadi, who produces the show. And thank you to you, dear listener, who joins us every single week. And please do join us again next week on the New Blue Review.